This is episode 129, Racing to the Top, with Bradley Miller, Managing Director of Havel Speed Tech and creator of Safe Antifreeze. My name is Tudor Alexander, and this is the Dance of Life podcast. Every week, my goal is to inspire you to take action towards what you love, live a transformed life, and enjoy the journey there. Are you ready? Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have an awesome guest that I want to share with you. But first, a very inspiring quote from somebody who recently passed away, Nikki Lauda. From success, you learn absolutely nothing. From failure and setbacks, conclusions can be drawn. That goes for your private life as well as your career. If you didn't know, and I didn't know either, but my awesome guest informed me today, Nikki Lauda, is a famous, famous Formula One driver, Austrian. He's three times F1 world champion. He was the only driver in F1 history to have been champion for both Ferrari and McLaren, and uh, I guess he recently passed away. So today, my amazing guest and friend, that's the most important part, is Bradley Miller, managing director of Hevel Speed Tech and Safe Antifreeze. What's up, my friend? How are hey, you? Hey, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, that was a good great. Good morning here. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was a wonderful job on that quote. I just wanted to use that as a tribute. I didn't know Nikki. I'm pro- second degree separation from him by a number of people because of my career path, but he was somebody that always inspired me. His uh, there was a recent movie that was produced by Ron Howard. It okay. Was, it was called yeah. Rush. I, I don't remember how many years ago. It's only been a few years ago. But if if those of you listening, if you haven't seen it, I don't know if it's on Netflix. I'm not a, a Netflix guy. But I bet it is. If you haven't seen it, it's worth watching. It's about his life. It's about, his, it's about a rivalry between him and a, a Formula One also who's passed away named James Hunt. James gotcha. was the playboy, the typical stereotype uh, English. And these guys just brutally duked it out. And, <laughs> and it's almost, it's such a, it's a competitive story, but it's such a respect for each, they had for each other mm. on, and, and Nikki taught James off the track and James actually taught Nikki a few things too. So, gotcha. and in his personal life. And, uh, but anyway, we just lost Nikki a uh, little over a week ago, um, but he experienced one of the probably horrific crashes in a, very challenging racetrack and it's in the movie ron howard did a really good job depicting it um also uh, for those of you uh there is a series on netflix about formula one it depicts the 2018 series it is the best understanding you will get as someone that knows nothing about racing um and to understand how globally uh, successful formula one is and really get behind the scenes and that uh, that has been documented. Um, I can't remember the name of the series, but the uh, it's easy to find on Netflix. It came out in March. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's funny. I uh, believe it or not, my my dad is one of the top mechanics uh, in the country for Acura. He's been you know into into cars since he was a little kid, and it's funny because growing up with him, um, I you know I. I was helping him with cars and of course, you know, with your, with your parents, you know, they, they nag you like, Oh, you didn't do this right. You didn't do that. So I kind of, I kind of through that whole process, 
uh, kind of shifted away from, you know, my dad's like the ultra mechanic and I literally know just about changing the oil and that's about it. So <laughs> this has been I, a really fun episode to talk well, to you about. Well, I, I tell stuff. you what, I don't, I don't change my own oil. I admit to it. Um, but I also have the ultra mechanic in my in my household, or not in my household anymore, but in my life, and it's my oldest son. Okay. So it's yeah. my 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 thirty uh, two year old son. He is the ultimate mechanic, and so dad actually takes all of his every every issue I've got. I just okay, son, can you just take care of this for me? <laughs> well, it's good to have. I'll tell you. I mean, especially I don't know if you guys live anywhere where you know you're absolutely required to have a vehicle, but you know we're here in, in Phoenix, and it's just. You can't rely on on public transportation. You, no, just, you I, have to have a car. Well, know, I, I I actually have, have been fortunate enough in my life that I've traveled cr- uh, throughout the world, and I travel a lot in Europe. I spend quite a little bit, quite a bit of time in Switzerland, Italy, and those countries. And Switzerland, I'll just touch on is that I I get off the airplane at Zurich, and I don't need a car. Oh yeah, it's totally I, I use situation. I go. I, I'm upstairs where the where the plane came in. I take an elevator downstairs. I cr- I get the train, and then I go and to my all of my destinations. So, even the water taxis, everything is just very organized on time, and it's a wonderful way of life. It's also then they use bicycles and things depending on the weather. I'll tell you, I would love to live in a place. And that's my dream is just to ride my bike everywhere every day. Well, Mike, my, my my, I'll tell <laughs> I'll tell you right now, my personal goal is to live half of the time, uh, to live the uh, summer months in, in Switzerland. I've tried to establish myself there over the last 11 years in a small community. I don't have the French speaking down yet. It's just right off the border of France. I'm, I end up, what's funny is I end up spending more time with my French friends, uh, teaching them English than I spend on working on my French. So we're, we're, it's a work in progress, but I, that's my goal also is to, it's so hot here in Phoenix. I've lived here almost 50 years now. My parents moved here when I was eight years old. Uh, I came from Iowa, uh, and no funny jokes about idiots out wandering around. <laughs> you know, I learned that literally so, like a couple months so, ago. <laughs> so, no, it's cornfields, and it's great people. It's the Midwest. But Phoenix is made of Michigan, Minnesota, Iowa, Ohio, every every place in oh, the yeah. U.S. We're, we're the melting pot. Well, buddy, you've had quite the life, and I—I uh, mean, we've been going through it here before before the show, and I'm—I'm I'm totally inspired. I mean, you started your own business, and at 18, you know, so you can talk to Bill about that. And now, I mean, you've had a, quite an impressive list of achievements, and now with this uh, with this recent product you're launching, which I also want to talk about, we'll get to that later. But you know, give him a little background about what you do. And, uh, you know, how you got started, you got some really cool stories about your beginnings. Well, well, I, I appreciate that, Tudor. I really do. And what you're seeing when we're, we have timelines and brochures and websites and things, and we're actually just updating a timeline that I haven't updated since 2002. But, but yeah, I, I, I came out of high school in 1982. And growing up here... Um, I was a kid that we had uh, bicycles, BMX bikes, came out when I was in my uh, uh, 10, 11. I rode a skateboard. A skateboard, I was very avid on a skateboard. That was a big part of my life. So riding a skateboard and, and doing the BMX bikes, and then came dirt bikes. And once that we got dirt bikes, it was almost like put everything else away. And so I had uh, I had a Honda. Uh, it was my first it was uh, my first motorcycle, and I uh, tore it apart, 
tried to put cool fenders on it, handlebars and things, and that's how I started. And then, and then from there, I ha- I went to sand rails. We we had sand buggies, and they were all Volkswagen powered. So the Volkswagen was going to be a very predominant part of my life. Uh, my first car was a Volkswagen, and I was the guy in high school that worked on everybody else's car. So I started to my friends did weren't really they wanted the cool car but they didn't really want to spend the time on it they were the football you know football quarterback or something like that and i'm the one tearing out their transmission and their engine and and trying to because we were going to go cruising saturday night down on central avenue right <laughs> you know and trying to i don't say pick up chicks we were just thinking we're cool uh, so this started as just a i mean what you do now is obviously is, is such an, uh, an evolved and elaborate um, thing that you've built over time, but it started off as just something you were ultimately just curious about and, yeah. and just yeah, having I was just fun a kid. with yeah, it. I was just a kid and I was just a kid and I liked working on cars and I just, you know, and I found a couple of things. And then uh, one of my childhood friends, his father had a drag racing team here in Phoenix that was a professional at that time. They were, they would be considered a professional team, even though it wasn't, they weren't sponsored. It was their own money. But my, uh, my, my, one of my childhood best friends, his dad had a performance speed shop here in Phoenix. Mm. It was called Loper's Performance Center. Iconic. That was a big deal, yeah. Huge. Ninth Street in Indian School, center of the universe. Mm. And uh, anyway, they're still, the name's still around. The business is still around. Not the same ownership. Uh, but his father's name was Johnny Loper, John Sr. And he was a big influence in my life. One of the most challenging men ever to make me accountable. As a teenager, he would, the, the fear of God, would he would just put it into us. What exactly about him made you as his first mentor in your oh, life? Like, what, just what, what uh, just you? his mannerisms. It's like uh, I had to buy my product from his store. He gave me 30-day net terms, and I had to pay on time. And gotcha. I mean, all so of a sudden. So he was very structured. Yeah, all of a sudden, I'm 17 years old, and I'm being treated just like an adult. Gotcha. You know, I had a checking account, and I had to. You know, with my business license and my tax ID number, and holy cow! <laughs> so he pretty like, much threw you head first into the into the well, business. Well, and then the problem was is that him, his son, and I, we would do some stupid things. You know, right. like every teenage kid, we're doing trying to impress girls. <laughs> well, he would call me, and I'm thinking it's something business related. He'd take me into the office with his son, shut the door, and if he shut the door, it's like that's not a good sign. Not a good sign. No, <laughs> no, no. And we'd get our butts chewed out this was the guy that you did the uh tubes with that we were talking about earlier well this was the the he was this was his uh he had uh, no this was the uh drag racer and he had a a, what's called a funny car Hmm. and an nhra that is national hot rod association he had a car that at that time would run five seconds so it's nitro powered nitro methane this is what year, like oh, in the eighties, right? This or is yeah. This is oh yeah. He was prolific in the seventies. That's all a big through, deal. Yeah, all through the seventies. This is in the very early eighties, very very early eighties, and so his son and I, we became friends when I was right at seventeen, and uh, and then we had our own little race car. We had a race, so his his car went five seconds. Our car went nine seconds. So ours is very way slower. And we had the ricketyest trailer you've ever seen. and But Dad was kind enough to give us a company truck, so we looked reasonably good, and gotcha. we got there safely. <laughs> um, but we would that's what would really be the start. And then I 
found uh, early on, I found a, a product that I found I did pretty well at. It was plumbing. And not like plumbing in your house or your toilet, but it was plumbing in the engines. Mm. It was plumbing for the race car, plumbing on the, and, and it was uh, a braided stainless hose. And it was a specific brand. And it was a brand named Earl's. And they're still in business and a very good product. And then I became pretty good at putting them together. And uh, so my friend's dad had, he was the largest wholesale customer for the company. So he gave me really good terms. I got 50% off. So I had enough margin, enough room in it that I could make a few bucks. There you go. You know, and I added just a little bit of labor. And then I I did something pretty, I, I think by today's standards, when I took little ads, to little two-inch ads out in magazines and basically sold that product. And I told people I was really the best at it. <laughs> and I, yeah. I probably, you know, a little over the top, but I'm just, I'm the greatest hey, sliced right? bread, you know. <laughs> right. well, what's amazingly, though, here's one of my best stories is I spent, I, I remember I spent $200 on an ad and $200 at that time. That was a big, yeah, It was a, a huge amount of money and I saved up my money and this ad's only going to be in the magazine for 30 days. So, wow. well, that first $200 ad, I sold $2,000 worth of parts that day. Wow. And I was like. In a single day, that it, the yeah, first day that it was out? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm on to something here. So wow. I, it wasn't going to always be like that, but I was able to make a return on my investment. I didn't know those terms, obviously, but I was able to to turn over my money and then, but also now I had to ship product on time and be accountable mm. to customers. And so I had to take the heat. I had to take the phone call if they didn't understand something technically, or if they, if they didn't like the quality or, you know, so I'm going to enter into a lot of things early on. So that was a product that I did. And then when I noticed, when I noticed I was doing plumbing for a lot of racing cars, like sprint cars and drag boats and tractor pullers, when I would do the plumbing around the fuel injection system, everybody panicked. Everybody was very cautious about they didn't want me to touch that part of it because they didn't understand how it worked. Gotcha. Somebody set it up for them, somebody, you know. And so I realized very quickly that was the opportunity. That was the opportunity. So yeah, you found another niche and pretty much uh, yes. went for it. And yeah, I love so how you told me you went out and called the top people in the well, in the, yeah, in the I, 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 again, I, I guess I didn't know any better, but we didn't have <laughs> the internet, so I couldn't, you can't really search them. So I'm a kid. I read magazines. We used to just read magazines. Mm. I mean, and uh, I didn't like hang around and read magazines. I mean, I had to work my when I in the summers when I was a kid. My dad had a construction business, and I was fortunate. I had a place to work. I could build scaffolding, drive a truck, unload trailers. Do he, it was a construction business, so it was hard work. Mm. It was good discipline. But I also made enough money that I could, you know, save my money to do stuff. And uh, so anyway, back to the the magazines and things. So I started taking ads in magazines. I found the fuel injection was the opportunity. So there were some large names in the industry. One of them was Stu Hilborn, Hilborn Fuel Injection, which they're still one of the top brands. Um, the best company was a guy named Kent Enderly, Enderly Fuel Injection. Uh, Sid Waterman, Waterman Fuel Injection. And then one of my mentors uh, is Keith Black, um, Keith Black Racing Engines. And these are the biggest names in the history, in, in today, in the, those in racing. Mm. And, and this is mostly drag racing, like I said, sprint car and other. And I just called them. I just literally picked up the phone and called them. And I just said, hey, would you teach me about your product? And they're like, sure, come on over. 
Now, they're in California. They're all uh, ones in Northern California, so I can't go to him until later uh, as frequently. But the others are right in the same area. In fact, Keith's shop was in a place, it's in a place called Southgate, which is Watts, guys. That's the hood. That's as tough as it gets. Wow. So so what I did is I had my little Volkswagen. I hop <laughs> in my car, and I, I'm a four-hour drive from Phoenix to California. And everybody's, oh, it takes five and a half hours. No, Volkswagen, I can make it in four. I got to stop. Especially if you're hungry, right? <laughs> yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop at the rest stop and sleep. But I'm going to leave. It's hot here, so I'm going to leave at 3 a.m. and drive across the desert when it's dark, when it's cold. And I'm going to hope, the, you know, I hope I built the engine good enough. I'm going to make it because hmm. I built the engine that I'm driving. So, wow. you know, so that is a lot. I get to. How were those early experiences for you? Like once you, once you, because uh, obviously, I mean, you know, this is just the the beginning of a long list of, you know, impressive achievements with your, with your company, Speed Tech. But those early moments, especially this story about reaching out to people that were top in their field and then let's say granting you an audience in a sense, uh, which is pretty awesome. I mean, these days we have Instagram and, you know, people try to reach out to, to influencers and try to collaborate and these kind of things. So it's, it's really awesome that you were able to connect to these high level people. How was that for you had that experience because we talked about mentoring and the value of mentoring in, in terms of well, success that that's it right there the word mentoring yeah. I, I don't know that it's it's not taught i mean it's not taught in our educational system i don't mm. know any i never had any teachers or that said hey you need to get a mentor and here's what a mentor does right and so i was fortunate that i was very like i said i was very fortunate that i reached out to some of these i call them old guys because again you know, I'm at 18, everybody 35 looks like they're old, right? <laughs> right. So, so I was lucky enough that I basically, they would teach me their product, but the, what I was really inspired by is they, if I asked them, they would teach me about anything, about anything in really life, you know? So, mm. so it was really a good opportunity. Now I was a, I, I don't want to say I was a rebellious kid. My mom, or, or, I, I was fortunate. My parents were still alive. They live up in Wickenburg. I, spent the afternoon with him yesterday and I was telling about a situation I have with one of my children and and my mother thought it was pretty comical because you know she goes that's <laughs> payback you. she right, goes that's yeah. you that's payback but yeah. and it wasn't like being so we all have a time when we're teen years where we may not listen to our parents or we're rebellious but I was again I was fortunate enough that I I figured out that I needed to have a bunch of old guys that had experience in life to go to because I'm going to encounter things, whether it's my product, whether it's, you know, relationships, you know, you're, you're, you're a product of people, circumstances and events. Yeah. So absolutely. again, if you look at your life, you're a product of people, circumstances and events. And it, 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 these are the things that shape you. So the things that are really bothering me or I'm really concerned with, or I'm staying awake, I can talk to these guys about it and they're, they don't even bat an eye because they're like, here's how to take care mm. of that, or this. Yeah, they've is walked the path they've, ahead they've of you. They've walked through stuff that's so much harder because of the years of experience. What okay. are some of the things that you would say, like when you were that young? What are some of the big things that blew your mind that you learned from these guys? I mean, were oh, they... I, I would say here's the first one I learned is that if I was completely broke, that I was still was rich. Mm. 
Because like, okay, so this is like a, I know this is a hard concept because we live in, we live in the wealthiest nation in the wealthiest time in history. So right. it's hard to understand third world countries and poverty and, you know, uh, starvation. I mean, all these social issues that the world goes through and cycles through. If you have a door that locks, if you have a roof over your head, you're in the wealthiest 15% yep. and you can have zero money, none. I don't, I mean, penniless, no money. But if you have a door that locks and a roof over your head, again, I don't know how you're going to keep the roof over your head for the right. next 30 days, whether your landlord's putting eviction notices on your deal, which I've had those and I've, you know, I've, I've had all of that. Hmm. Um, I've had the phone shut off, the power shut off. I've had every, all that stuff happen to me. And, um, and but but I, what I learned early on is you're still in the top fifteen percent, and it's like if you can grasp that, then then everything's about perception. Mm -hmm. So your perception is everything because if you perceive everything's okay, you're okay. If you perceive it's doom and gloom, it's doom and gloom. Yeah, absolutely, that's the way life is. So and that's it's again it's easy for us to talk about it. It takes years of mental conditioning and you got to go through the failures so we're looking at timelines i say to everybody you're looking at the top of the hill the peak where i'm out there beating my chest all you've been at this what like 40 oh no years you're not now. seeing the valley you're not seeing the bottom of the valley you're not right. seeing there's more bottoms of valleys than there are peaks yeah way absolutely. more and the way i really look at it it's like if you have a dream you have this vision you have this odd oh, eye you can't you gotta it keeps you awake it's like you gotta cons consumes you you got to talk about it with everybody. You just really want to make this happen. That's really powerful because that's what you got to have to get you up every day to keep you going. Hmm. Because you're going to wake, you're not going to want to get out of bed. You're going to want to literally like just everything's going to be coming at you that's not good, that doesn't look good. Yep. And you're like, it's not inspiring. You know, and the thing that you're also going to learn. Not when you're exhausted and you can't even get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, right. and then the other thing you're going to learn is that the people that you, uh, what I say, I used to have a lot of, num I used to, I have like 2,500 people in my phone and I used to call a lot of them friends. Now I call most of them acquaintances now. I don't even think we can have that many, like people these you days, can't. especially with Facebook, we the call everybody a friend. Yeah, that, you can't. That's it's not a, really it's accurate. Not a, it's mean. not a, yeah, there's a whole different, you've got these different layers. That's another subject. Yeah. Okay, I'll call that anti-social media. So, <laughs> but, but what you got, what you have is who you think you really, you really, I always say, and I, I, I say to my children a couple of things. There's a number of euphemisms, but you're two decisions away from being homeless. At any given time, you're two decisions away from me. Why two, exactly. Just do the math. I mean, go make two poor decisions. You can be, <laughs> you can, you can be homeless pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah I, I don't care how, I don't care if you're a rock star or you're, you know, fortune, whatever company, you are two decisions away from either be, being imprisoned or in, or being homeless. Mm. So that that's hard because there's a lot of times we, we make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And it's like, you're not doing it intentionally. You're just hoping you can survive them, hmm. you know, so are they survivable mistakes? So that's really how to manage yourself and how to manage your, your mistakes. It's not how to manage your success. It's how to manage your error. It's how to manage your failure because you, you have to fail before you could ever succeed. There's yeah, just no, like that uh, quote by Nikki. Well, I, mean, I, ultimately I gave you the quote from Nikki because I've read that and it's very, it's been very inspiring. I mean, everybody's inspired by different things, but it is the, it's the absolute 
Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's gospel no, to me. Sure. It's gospel to me. Your ability to see failure as a resource, I think that's, if you Absolutely. look at anybody who's failure successful. Failure is the best resource that it you is. have. It is, yeah, you get the feedback. Because you also, you do not grow, and, and again, you don't grow at the times of your success. You only grow as a person during your hardest times. And, it, and it's interesting because, again, the way our, the, I call the body a machine, but the way the mind, the way it processes things, and again, you had the, the train wreck girlfriend or the, the bad relationship. Years later, you don't remember all the bad stuff. You tend to remember mm. the things that were good or the sweeter part. I was just listening to a book, actually. It's funny you mentioned that. I literally was just listening to a book called The Science of Happy Money or something like that. It's by a researcher named Elizabeth Dunn and another person, I forget who, but she's a, a famous researcher in the area of like uh, gratitude and happiness and all this stuff. And anyway, long story short, one of the things that they were, the chapter I was just listening to was talking about how we tend to, rem- even with negative experiences, because they're basically talking about, we'll tie this in a second, but they're talking about how spending money on material things isn't as satisfying as spending money on experiences. Even if the experiences are negative, right. we 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 forget the pain, but then we remember the life lessons. We forget right. the meaning of it. We right. get we forget, you know, all the immediate trauma. Yeah, absolutely. So. If I told if I told a a, a teen, I have a couple of things that I I tell young people or teenagers because I try to be supportive or mentoring to them because of the same. It, it's a cycle, right? You know, so you want to give back. Yeah, pass you, it on. Yeah. You want to give back what you were given. It's like again, if you're a if you're a lamp, you want to light up other people. You know, yep. that's the whole that. And, and that's hard. to Again, it's the it, again, I know this is all going to sound like a ton of cliches and we don't mean it to be. But, you but, know, I think it's clear. Here's the thing with cliches. I'm going to I'm going to talk about that because I think at the end of the day, on one side, you can say things like, let's say this quote by Nikki. Right. On some level, you could say it's cliche like, oh, you know, failure. You know, you need to have be resourceful with failure. Like that's cliche in the sense that maybe it's overused or not. But at the end of the day, it's it's really what you make of it. Because if you really live, like you said, you you live by that quote, you live by that principle. It's not cliche. You know, it, right. it doesn't have to be because right. it's, it's just, how we it's approach founda- it. There's a lot of foundation. Yeah, there's, absolutely. There's, there's some basic. So, and everybody has to develop, like I said, people, circumstances, and events are what shape you. So yeah. you have to develop your foundation. And there's, I think there's times in life, and, and I, have a, I have one of my children, my middle child, years ago, not, not now, but she tried to, I think, overdo or to make a lot of, lot of experiences maybe too early, like mm-hmm. to try to create a lot of old soul and I'm like, just, it'll all come and, and it's given and it's time. time. Yeah, because yeah, you're going to make a lot of poor choices by trying to do too many things. Hmm. And so let, you know, and then I, what I used to tell them is also be a kid. Because I said, be a kid as long as you possibly can. I don't mean be immature. I mean, when you're a teenager, uh, you know, as again, I didn't have cell phones. I didn't have apps. I didn't have Facebook. I didn't have all that when I was so a child. So many more distractions today. Yeah, I said, I, and I tell, my, I tell my kids, I said, I would, as a teenager, it would drive me, I, I would hate it. I would absolutely hate it. Well, they don't know any different, but, but I'm observing this. I'm observing this going, these kids aren't allowed to be kids. What do you think is the biggest challenge for this new generation uh, in terms of, let's say, you know, this topic of this communication? I know that sounds stupid, but right now our attention span is 17 seconds. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and they have the attention span of a gnat, and they're sitting there with their, th- their finger swiping, 
you know, they're swiping through life. They're yeah. not, they're not, and they're, so I always, what I'm saying is they're living in a, a hundred millimeter life. Yeah. So that's four inches, by right. the way. So um, <laughs> for imperial, you know, imperial metric. So, but they're hit living such a small life because they're absorbed by this little tiny screen mm. and they get sucked into that, that that's reality. And it's not, it's just so far from it. So I'm like, and I, again, it's like, turn off the phone, turn that, turn it off, leave it behind. You go out to dinner and you see all these couples and they're across from each other and they're all looking at their phone. Oh yeah, that's terrible. I saw a family, it was a mom and dad. They were younger mom and dad. I think it must've been their late twenties, early thirties. And they had a, an infant with them and they were at the table. This was, I don't know, about a year ago maybe. And they were at a table and then there was, their their baby had an iPad. They had their phones on. It was literally everybody was plugged in. <laughs> it was just well, sad. Well, you know, and and, mean, and again, yeah. it is sad because you're sitting there going, they're they're texting. So so you're having you're at a com you're at a uh, table and everybody's having a conversation with everybody else, but who's present? But who's present? Yeah. And it's like what, so so basically just communication. But that's true, though. You know, I think the communication is a key to success. You know, we talk about being successful and and managing our our minds basically to to reach that ultimate goal of of creating what we want in life and i think managing your distractions especially now these days there's so many more distractions than we had you know let's say i yeah. don't know 20 30 years ago Absolutely. that uh we're we're it's funny you know i was thinking about this earlier and uh i'm going to put it in another episode or something i'm going to write about but basically with all this new opportunity and innovation, it's really wonderful. But I see the world as kind of diverging into two very different paths. And in the sense of it caters to two very different people, and it's increasingly diverging in this area, in my opinion, with all these new things, like all these platforms and things like that. One of those directions are people who are self-motivated and resourceful and basically can see these as tools to you know, create opportunity Right. I agree. I mean, these days you look at a phone and it's a tool. You think about your power, like the president of the United States 50 years ago, you have more power than the president of the United States 50 years ago with that little phone in your pocket in terms of your economic participation and communicate all these things we can do. I mean, it's crazy to think about. But the other side of the coin is. Most people don't see it that way. They use their phone as a major source of distraction or well, whatever. It, you know? it, well, here's the major. It's their it's their dopamine. Yeah. So it's so moving it, in it, that it, area. It actually, you know? it literally, again, medically, it feeds their dopamine. Yeah, absolutely. So the likes and all of this and the, the you know, so again, we that that's a, that's a whole yeah, other subject. Yeah, that's a whole other can of worms, but, but, but it's, right now, it's relevant. <laughs> it's, re- it's relevant. It's relevant. But yeah. it, like I said, my, so my career, my career has been about, uh, about doing the things that I love to do. I like creating. I like making yeah. things. I like solving problems. I I tried to solve problems in a very narrow market in racing and in a niche market. Yeah. And then now I've created what what I'm calling our third innovation. We've created a lot of things, but this is we've done three things that I think that are major, like changing, significant. Mm. The third product now is. What were the three things we can talk about? Uh, the safe, first, but. yeah, the first thing was again. Since I was a kid, I then I went to the fuel injection. I learned the mechanical fuel injection. Well, then I wanted to make an electronic fuel injection system. Mm. And you were so, the first to do that. Yeah, I was. Well, in racing, in I racing, was in racing. racing. I made the first digital. I made one of the first digital uh, electronic fuel injection 
which became a digital data acquisition, which became telemetry. I know these are terms that you're not familiar with, but basically what it means is that the race car could send its information and we could watch it in the pit area. Mm -hmm. So what you watch on television, the numbers on the screen that come from the car, I was the first one to transmit those numbers digitally. So I'm 20 years old. I'm working out of my garage. I've got a guy that writes software for me. I've got a guy that makes hardware for me. When, when I say hardware, we're talking circuitry, resistors, capacitors. Now, when I, had the, when I had, was building the fuel injection, my desire to make an electronic one, I, my testimony, and again, this isn't religious, but my testimony is I didn't know a resistor from a capacitor. And so I had to learn. I, and I was like, well, am I going to go to college? Am I going to go it'll take electrical engineering? Am I? No, I'm going to, I live in, I, I live next door to Intel and Motorola. It's like, woohoo. So I'm going to, again, I'm going to call them up and there say, you go. Yeah. I'm going to back to the source. I'm going to, instead of going to the lobby, I go around the back door. Yeah. And I, I mean, so I get to know, I get acquainted with the engineering department and I show them what we're doing. Well, they're so excited about what I'm doing. They're showing me prototypes for the car industry, and we have them well, breadboarded and operational with software way before Ford, General Motors, or Chrysler. Wow. And we have them setting well, – now I've got them in an IndyCar. So I've got them at the Indianapolis 500. I just came back from Indianapolis. Uh, I particip- How was that experience? That oh, was- it was phenomenal. We had uh, – I was there for qualifying. I wasn't there – for Sunday's race. Oh, gotcha. And our the team that I'm affiliated with is Jonathan Bird Racing, who is owned by David Bird and his family. And they're also, uh, they're from Indianapolis, and they also have a, uh, a business here, or they have multiple businesses that are in Goodyear. And uh, that family I've known, they started, his father started at Indy in 1985. I started in India in 1985. Wow. So it was my 34th, officially my 34th year there. It was their 21st entry, their 21st entry in the Indy 500. Wow. The driver that they had this year, uh, his name is James Davison. I'll do it in my best Australian accent, James Davison. <laughs> nice. So he is a 32-year-old young man from Australia. Fabulous. Very solid. Very solid. Uh, he didn't have 200 laps in that race car by the time we qualified on Saturday. And if you guys watch the television of the Indy 500, that's all the drama of qualification. For, and it comes down to Sunday. Well... All I can tell you is that we had a fabulous crew. Now, our crew is not a full-time crew. They don't run the entire season. They're only put together for 30 days to run the Indy 500. We brought it, you know, so they hire a driver to run the Indy 500. And so it's a, anyway, we qualified the first day at 12th position. By the end of Sunday, we were at 15th position. Wow. So 33 cars will qualify. There's three across, 11 deep, 33 cars. We were right in the middle at 15. We're in row number five. Fabulous. Uh, James worked his way up the race. That within the, By the first pit stop, he came in at fourth position, which was really That's phenomenal. That's incredible. It, it yeah. was really good. The car, everything was going really well. Uh, he came in the pit stop. Unfortunately, uh, one of Penske's cars, uh, Helio Castroneves, who you would know, Dancing of the Stars. Oh, there winner, you go. Yeah. Helio, winner <laughs> of Dancing of the Stars. Well, he danced right into our race car. Oh, So wow. <laughs> he hits James, 
and our, spins them around. Thank goodness nobody was injured. The tire is flying. Holy crew smokes. is diving. It's This is on NBC. You guys want to watch a YouTube clip? It's easy to find. So it spins the car around. So the crew run out. They turn the car around. Now they've got to take the tires off. they got to put the fuel in it. If there's any potential damage, we won't really know, right? And so now James is back beyond 33rd. Like he's back in the right, 30th yeah, position the because oh, you have to do everything in time fast because yeah. the seconds are clicking by. You're losing positions. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so so anyway, James gets back out on the racetrack. He's all the way in the back of the pack. Now, for those of you that watch the race, there were some pretty big crashes. They were at the front of the pack, a lot of people taken out. So we finished 12th. We finished the race. Not that's a, that's still pretty good. Fabulous. I mean, yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's I, I, now we all kind of hope for top ten or something like that. But yeah. He was he so he passed a lot of race cars. Yeah. All through the race, stayed out of all the debris, stayed out out of the crashes, finished the race with the same race car that they put on the track, not damaged, wow. engine running on the lead lap. That's important. <laughs> on the lead lap. So. Anyway, he did a fabulous job, so uh, congratulations to Jonathan Bird Racing, Bellardi Racing, also Dale Coyne Racing. It's those three groups that put together this team and this race car, and it's Honda-powered. Uh, he was running Honda Power. Our participation in it was this was my first year as a sponsor, so and, and then I'm not there spending money. I don't have the money, but what I've been fortunate enough is that David— and the driver, James, helping me as we launched our new product. Yeah, let's Take talk for, about that. That's well, exciting, Well, I'm going to segue right into it. So our new product is Safe Antifreeze. That's amazing. And just as the description, so I'm trying to, so my communication skills to reach my audience globally is safe. Uh, so we want to make the world's safest antifreeze. And antifreeze uses uh, traditional antifreeze, 98% of the industry of, except my, my product does not have this chemical in it, but 98% of the industry uses an, a chemical called ethylene glycol, hmm. okay? And ethylene glycol was invented in the late 1800s. It was first put in automotive antifreeze in 1927. So let's just try to get you mentally around this. So when the Model A Ford came along in 1931, it was already out for five years. Wow. So if you can picture on your streets, Model A Ford's running around, that all the cars today, 98% of them are using the same chemical that is a deadly poison. Hmm. Okay. So And they didn't know that when they created it. Well, I want to tell you, know, I wanna tell you things, another but. interesting <laughs> fact. I'll tell you an interesting fact. The FDA here in the United States, the Food and Drug Administration, was created by an act of Congress. And the reason it was created was because there was a chemical company, or a pharmaceutical company, I should say, and they put ethylene glycol in a consumable product for humans. Really? They did. What was it? I, I'd have to go back and yeah. show you on Wikipedia. But, but anyway, you, that's easily, you can research that. So um, they needed it to be passed or whatever? So, so they, no, <laughs> it, no, 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 no. FDA didn't exist. The reason the FDA exists is because 100 people oh, died. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. 100 people wow, died. that's incredible. And then our government said, we need to come up with an administration that protects the consumers. 
That created gotcha. the FDA. Wow. So the FDA was created because 100 humans were killed from the same by, this, chemical, <laughs> from by this, this chemical that's wow. used in antifreeze. Now, does that sound interesting or is it a coincidence? Huh. So I don't know any of this. I, I just learned this recently. Okay. I yeah. learned this in the last few years. And I'm like anybody else. I'm on the internet. I read. I read everything I can. So, so anyway, the FDA was created by a hundred people dying of ethylene glycol. Again, just a small trivial fact. Now, in antifreeze, automotive coolant. So the word coolant and the word antifreeze are interchangeable. But what the word antifreeze means is just what it says. Now, here in Phoenix, we don't think about it a lot because it doesn't freeze here often. But in the rest of the world, it's minus 40 degrees in Fargo, North Dakota. Hmm. So antifreeze allows the coolant to go below sub-freezing temperatures. And not expand, basically. And not freeze into a solid mass of ice. Yeah. And if it turns into, you guys watch ice, water is the world's most efficient chemical that transfers energy. Okay, so water is a, a, an amazing material. Well, it transfers BTU, thermal energy. So we take the water and it transfers the heat through the radiator. The radiator has the air blowing across all the surface area. It cools the water down. It recycles it through there. Well, in the wintertime, we have to keep doing it. Well, it doesn't freeze over, so they need antifreeze. So many years ago, they used to use methanol, which is an alcohol. That would help it and it would lower the temperature and also glycerin. And these are still toxic, but they're not as toxic as ethylene glycol. So there was a company that put the ethylene glycol back in the day and uh, they put it in and it went now down to sub-zero temperatures. But also we don't have that many vehicles on the road. You know, again, mm -hmm. we don't have billions of. So let's put it in today's terms. Let's fast forward. In today's terms, globally, we're using nearly a billion gallons, over 900 million gallons of antifreeze. Wow. Per year? Per, per year. Wow. So, again, you got to put it in. So, it, you talk about the it's vehicles a lot of in the United floating around. So, a billion gallons of antifreeze. Now, antifreeze isn't just used in cars. It's used in trains. It's used in all different types of applications. Wow. It's also used as winterizing, what we call winterizing. Okay, so if you have a um, a vacation home, you have a boat, you have a you have a boat on the lake. It's in a boathouse. You still have to put something in there so the, all the pipes don't freeze over. And so we use they've used antifreezes for doing that. Sprinkler pipes in buildings have antifreezes in them. What happens with the antifreeze if, like, okay, does it get consumed and then does it get dumped yeah, anywhere? Let, like, let, let me let's let's just take it one step at a time. Now. I am I am not the I'm not the Environmental Protection Agency. I am not the world's authority on how everything is disposed of. I want to be clear on that. So you can go to Wikipedia, you can go to any of your resources and find out any statistics. And the problem with statistics and data is is whoever's producing them generally has a motive for producing them. Right. So <laughs> so so again, take it with a grain of salt, but but we know if there's a billion gallons of this material used that we know in these countries whether it's third world or even here in the united states that the materials end up in the sewage and it ends up in the drain it ends up mm. in places that it can't be recycled properly so 
Now, these products, they can be recycled properly, but it's very expensive. Hmm. So they take the product to an automotive uh, parts store or something, just like your oils. But again, we all know that people t- take, just gonna throw it out, they're yeah. going to put it in the side of the house. They're going to put it wherever they, and they're going to take the antifreeze and they're going to dump it down the sewer. So hmm. let's just pretend half of it makes it to a recycling center. Yeah. Let's pretend. It doesn't. We know it doesn't. So we're talking about hundreds of millions of gallons of something. Now, yes, it is biodegradable over a long period of time. Okay, it will biodegrade over a long period of time. I also probably will challenge some of the things that are written about it on Wikipedia because I'm not an expert on Wikipedia, but some of it isn't correct because, and I think it was manipulated by like what exactly well I, again i don't I, I think that some of the the biodegrading oh uh, some of that information of yeah it, it, some of that information i think that needs to be looked at harder and again we'll get to that as we get further down the road we're going to take on some of this information here but but for right now again i'm not i'm not it's just it is what it is so so there are some countries that have taken a very environmentally responsive view on this subject and that would be australia so australia has mandated that there's no ethylene glycol permitted in the mining districts so this is where you're going to have the large amounts of resources the ore is going to come out whether it's copper bauxite alumina all these different okay so a big mining truck will hold Again, I'll put it in both terms, 150 gallons of coolant. Wow. Okay. Or it'll hold 600 liters of coolant. That's That's, insane. That's a lot of material. So when they dump it on the ground, they're dumping a lot of material. Well, you can imagine 10 or 20 years ago or 50 years ago, nobody cared. They just opened up the thing and let let her go, go, you know? So, So anyway, they've taken a real responsible position on this. So you can buy antifreeze in that country, readily available in 55-gallon drums and totes, which is 270 gallons. You can buy it with a material called propylene glycol. Now, propylene glycol might sound real familiar to all you yeah, listening that in. Familiar. Well, it is because read your antiperspirant, read your shampoo, there and you read go. your yeah, food, read your food labels. <laughs> it's in everything that I mentioned. So here in the, now there's, there's technical grades of it and there's food grades of it. And the difference is, is the purity of it. Hmm. So if you're 99.5%, you're considered a food grade. If you're 95%, you're considered a technical grade. Gotcha. Okay. So for antifreeze, we don't need to have a pure, a high purity. Um, for my product, I'm using the highest purity products and, and we'll get to that later, but in general, propylene glycol. Now, let's give you some history. Let's go back into the late 60s. So propylene glycol has been around for a lot of years. The FDA and other, and again, and I'm going to probably irritate some people that are animal rights activists because they don't want any animal testing with chemicals. But the reality is I can't use a litmus test on a piece of paper and know exactly how it's going to affect a human Hmm. you know so they use things like you know they do testing with rats and things you know and again that's an animal and i don't and i'm not all about testing on cats and dogs and things like that so i don't want to have you guys all write in and and say that i'm 
you know, no, I'm trying to make the world safest product. I'm on your side, okay? Yeah, I'm trying to save your dog and your cat and your and the wild. And there's some crazy statistic, like how many pets die per year. Well, of... we got there's all again different sources of numbers, right. but there was uh, there's some a lot of legislation here in North America. There's 17 state laws. There are four federal laws, and these are laws uh, uh, on the antifreeze manufacturers that use ethylene glycol. And there are laws that they've recently, within recent years, enacted to add a bittering agent. And that's to make it taste flavor so it tastes, because it by itself has a sweet taste. Has always been sweet. And yes, (laughs) everybody's going to tell me the jokes, not jokes, but about the women that try to kill their husbands and all that stuff. And I don't really care to hear about any of that. But the, the reality is this ethylene glycol is poisonous. You don't have a substance in your household, and I know you think it's safely tucked in your car and it's safely in your radiator, but there's not a substance in your household. And I'm saying in your garage, you don't have a substance in your household that is that poisonous. You just aren't aware of it. Wow. Really? So, so now if you have a drip on the ground or if you see there's some on the, and, and if a cat were to touch its paw, I mean literally touch its paw in it, I don't mean drink it. I mean touch its paw in it and then lick its paw because a cat's going to lick its paw to cleanse itself. It, we That's just what it does. If it licks its paw, it's dead. Hmm. And, and wow. again, I learned that because I learned it from a lot of t- people that are much smarter than me about toxicology and and in animals, veterinarians, and and again, you can. My, this information's on my website too, by the way. What's your website? Uh, safeantifreeze.com. Safe How about that? Yeah. So, so pretty straightforward. <laughs> pretty straightforward. Uh, social media: safeantifreeze.com. Safeantifreeze. I think Instagram. that's. I mean, so, this is to me is revolutionary. So, so, so. well, again, and, and I'll go back to one of my theories, and I said this to you before that I don't think anything's ever invented. I always think it's reused. Right. Yeah. So, and that's something. I'll go back to Solomon. I think he has a couple good quotes in that area. But but my point is, is that this is a product that's been, it's that still is 98% of the industry. And I got to tell you about something else. In the food manufacturing industry, the way they process food, they use materials for antifreezes and they use materials for heat transfer. Those are all propylene glycol. And you're going, and I'm like going, well, wait a second. So, so anyway, a number of years ago, I'm sitting there going, well, if the food industry is using propylene glycol for everything, why do they do that? Because if the, if they have a leak and it goes into the food product, they don't even have to have a recall. Hmm. They, it, cause it's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to harm anybody. Right. And I'm like, well, and then I'm saying to myself, well, if it works for that, why aren't we using why it in not, our cars? Yeah, why not there? So guys. This isn't rocket science here. That's the question I asked. Now, from that point of view, now, I'm involved in some of the other chemicals that are in antifreeze. And so I'm sitting there going, thinking to myself, well, shoot, if that's the case. Now, there are other companies that manufacture ethylene glycol, and they also produce a propylene glycol version. And on the package, it'll say less toxic. Doesn't say non-toxic. It says less toxic. Yeah, how much less? <laughs> well, again, there's different reasons that you say that. It's like you, we're in the l- most litigious country in the world, right? Yeah. So again, and trust me, if kids are eating Tide Pods, I just am concerned about everything. It's crazy man. <laughs> you know, I don't even want to go. I don't even want to talk about it. You know. So my point is, is that 
So we can, so I just decided, here's what I decided. I said, you know what? We're going to take the lead on this hmm. because we have, I don't have the resources and, and it's like, okay, well, what are the resources? When you say, okay, money, right? That's the obvious one. I'm not a big, I'm not a big, I'm not the big company. And we'll talk about some of the resources here, but, but I basically said, we can take the lead on this. We're going to produce the safest antifreeze. We're just going to do it. We're going to produce the world's safest antifreeze. I don't care. I don't care what competitors are out there. Now, when I say I'm not trying to call them out, I'm not trying to get them to badger me. Uh, you know, again, I'm a competitor. They'll, they can fight me in the market for market share. Yeah. You know, don't fight me in the, in the courtroom, fight me on the, on the shelves. If you think you can do it better than me, do it. Yeah. You know, you can communicate to these people for 17 seconds, do it. Right. You know, let's, that's, that's where, you know, that's where it should be done. But unfortunately in our company, and this is a whole nother subject, in our country, a lot of people are intimidated by the legal system because if they think they have a better idea, they're going to get shut down by the big company, whether it's big chemical, big automotive, big pharmaceutical, big anything, they're going to get cease and desist letters. They're going to be, whether it's claiming patent infringement, whatever it is, they're going to bully them. Hmm. That's all it is. Is I call it bullying. And you know what? Are there people developing what you're developing now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Should, they should be if they haven't been. I was right. like, what? Well, uh, my point is, hey, we could, my point is, we could have been, the whole industry could have been non-toxic for 50 years. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So they have testing with rats, uh, with propylene glycol, and they don't kill them. So the point is, why haven't, why hasn't everybody... You know, again, I can't answer that question for other manufacturers, hmm. but I just, I went to Indianapolis last week. I had a press conference at the media center. And one of the things that I said to them, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to beat on our horn, but I said, I work in an industry that's all about innovation and performance racing. Now, a lot of people out here, again, I don't care who you vote for, but a lot of people have a different point of view on what racing is. They think it's like we're you know, killing trees and using resources and trying to harm us. Well, your car, all your safety equipment in your car, whether it's the seat belts or the airbags, they were all developed in racing. Hmm. And so I went in front of the Associated Press last Thursday in Indiana, or a week ago Thursday, and I just basically told them, Big Chemical didn't make the world's safest antifreeze. Big Automotive didn't do it. It was motorsports. And I'm here, and I'm motorsports. Hmm. And we make the safest antifreeze. Here it is. Safe antifreeze. Wow. So it's the racing industry, Formula One. My background is Formula One. I talked about a kid and sand rails. Well, I got all the way to Formula One. I got all the way to the top. I got all the way to top fuel. I got all the way to air racing. I got all the way to, there isn't anything that's had an engine in it that I haven't been fortunate enough to have some involvement in. Every world record for, uh, and again, and I'm not here to beat on my chest, and everybody's like, well, what does that have to do? Well, we have to operate at a level of performance. Now, five years ago, I was working in off-road desert racing. The Baja 500 is this weekend. You have the Indy 500, then you have the Baja 500. That's the biggest, one of the biggest races. The Baja 500, the Baja 1000, they raced what's called trophy trucks. These are the same horsepower as that. I Indy. remember you had a trophy truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've done a lot of work with those. Yeah. So so anyway, so I was I was working with one of my high school childhood friends, who was 
more into Volkswagens than me. <laughs> well, his he is the biggest, baddest builder of trophy trucks in the world. Wow. Okay, so these are 900 horsepower, 140 mile an hour, 28 inches of suspension. Yeah, they're crazy. They, yeah, I've seen some pictures they, of them. Uh, and, and they run in the desert. They run in Australia. They run in, you know, they run in Dakar. They run all across the world. But they run a lot here in this continent in Mexico. So long story short is, uh, so I have some different types of experience. So anyway, it was working in those types of vehicles, the off-road vehicles, a number of years ago that I was having some issues with temperature and with corrosion. And so I just, that's, that's when I got an interest in this. I didn't do anything with it commercially. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I just solved the problem that we were dealing with with the customer at the time. Well, it was two years ago. I'm laying in bed. I'm broke. And again, you want to talk about inspiring people. How, <laughs> how inspiring is it to, to tell you? It's like, Hey, I got, I got nothing. You know, well, remember I told you at the beginning of the conversation, I had a door that locked and a roof over my head. Yep, that's so it. I'm still in the top 15%. That's it. Yep, you got to you know? that. <laughs> but I'm sitting here going, okay, I, so I've got these different talents and skills. And, and again, so, you know, maybe we made a bad choice. Well, I made like, again, so we, we picked a product that we worked on or something. It didn't work out. Okay, let's do, let's do it. Yeah. We, let's go to the next thing. You know, we're not quitters. Yeah. You know, we just get up, we get up and, but it's hard because you're sitting there and you're not inspired. You're sitting there. You got the, the phone's going to get shut off. The utilities are going to get oh, shut yeah. off. Your landlords, but you know, again, if you, if you're a mortgage, if you own your home, then look at how many people walked away from the economy in 2008 and all the shorted short sales yeah, and the short home. Sales. So people out here in the listening audience, if you're borrowing money, I'm going to go to uh, if you're borrowed up, if you're on credit cards, if you're in debt, get out of it because I'm not in debt. Now, I can be completely broke, but I can get out of it I, again. So there's a whole there's a different level. I don't have twenty thousand dollars of credit card debt or I'm not living over my head. Uh, Tudor's he's at the world headquarters of speed tech right now. <laughs> OK, so I think it matters how you use your debt, too, because ultimately, you know, there's there's a mentality of consuming debt to you know feed right. your pleasures or whatever right 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 but if then it's like okay i'm gonna borrow now, now to there's create times, something hey, now, now, you know, now granted there's times where i've now there's times where i've used every dime i had on my ideas right and again so yeah, you got to take risks we, I mean. hey i'm a risk taker so yeah. it's all about and and in fact i i've been single for 23 years not of my choice now again we all gamble it's just what we gamble at you know whether right. it's relationships or products or you know, you're gambling on on having a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, you're you just saying put it, it out there and hope that it. Finds yeah, everything is again. <laughs> and, and so I use the term gambling, maybe a little because everything we do is a gamble. You gamble on what you eat. I mean, you whatever your diet is hmm. is a gamble like to that. what what your exercise program. Everything you do is a gamble. Yeah, it, it makes you realize ultimately you don't have control over the outcome. Right. You don't. <laughs> you don't. No. So so anyway. So yeah. let's get back to it. So so my story. Yeah. If I'm going to inspire anybody, if you got a lock on your door, I you don't have to have a car. Again, I've had I've had some of the best growth, the best seasons of my life. I was riding a bike and hopping on a public bus because they have that bike rack on the bus. Oh yeah. So I could drive. I could ride my bike to the bus stop. 
Okay, the bus picks me up. I put my bike on the front of the bus. I get, I never missed an appointment. I had a backpack. They didn't know I didn't drive up in a cool car. You know, I had I had my bike sitting downstairs locked up with my backpack. I made a million-dollar presentation. Wow. You know, they don't know it. Yeah, they don't they have a clue as long so, as you You know what I'm saying? So I'm not BSing anybody. I say, they like, hey, if you want to go to lunch, like, well, yeah, but can we take my bike? You know? So, I mean, hey, I, I got a different sense of humor. So everybody, there's, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, again, if you're trying to develop a, an idea, you're trying to write a book, you're trying to, you're trying to better self-improvement, you're trying to get out of debt, whatever. Again, we all have our circumstances, right? I just had a couple of, I've had a few seasons in my life. And again, you got to go through these seasons. And you got to have the mentors, the people in your life that can help hold you accountable, mm. help inspire you when you need some inspiration. And people, I got to tell you, I love my family, but I'm telling you, a lot of these people in my family aren't the people I go to to be inspired by. Yeah. You know, because a lot, and I always say, there's another saying I have, I always hold out a glass with water in it and I'm like, shake it up, see what spills out. So sometimes mm. in your lifetime, when your life gets shaken up, you know, you'll find out who your f- real friends are or who your real family is. I have family. Uh, my grandmother, I, I, again, I use the term grandma. I have the the kindest, most gentlest woman that ever I've had in my lifetime. She died two years ago at 99. Wow. I called her grandma for 30 years. She was one of my mentor's mothers. She, first time I met her, she said, you're going to call me grandma. That woman inspired me. That woman spent time with me. That woman's the kindest, gentlest woman. And and I tell you why, you know, it's been kind of difficult because I, I date and she's she raised the bar so high on what is acceptable. What, you, yeah, what, what is acceptable. For, yeah. So people out here, if you're dating and you're in these relationship, you're spending a lot of your resources, a lot of your energy on stuff that you probably could be spending it on yourself. Hmm. If will you date yourself? Right. You know, that old saying, it's like, would you go, would you literally date? I asked the person, I said, would you date yourself? I mean, are you that level of quality? So this is, again, I don't want, but these are all interrelated subjects because yeah, absolutely. you got to get up. You want to got to get up in the morning to be able to inspire somebody. It, it takes, you got to look and say, okay, it's not about money. Resources is not about money. I was telling you when you walked in, I said, well, you're six degrees separation from everybody. So mm. Within two or three degrees, I can get to about anybody I need to. Now, Mike, the key is, is I don't want to manipulate them. I want to, I want to, maybe if I need their help on something, it's not, I don't need their money. I might need some advice. Mm. I might need a, I might need a, a, a opportunity to get a connection to somebody they know. You know, it's like, here's what I've developed. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. I know you're, you know, I know your mentor is this person. Can you give me an audience with them? Can I get a lunch? Can I get a cup of coffee? Hmm. You know, again, I, I've learned more over a cup of coffee than I have reading a lot of books. Oh, conversations are everything. Uh, well, absolutely. So it's back to communication. Well, you got, so here's the tough thing. Busy people get a lot done. But you'll find that the busier the person is, you can get on their schedule. It's just like their list, their to-do list. They'll have 18 things on their to-do list. Give me four more. They'll get them done. Yeah, They'll, they know how to manage Yeah, but time. the people that can't get anything done don't have anything on their to-do list. Yeah, isn't that list. funny? <laughs> you, they have nothing on their to-do list. They can't get – you give them one task, they can't get it done. Yeah. And then, again, you talk about time management and all that. And, 
you know, we were talking about somebody that I think is fun is Tony Robbins. You know, I, I like to, everybody th- yeah, I think thinks of him been. as a different uh, motivational speaker or whatever. I think he's got a, I think he's got a lot of good things to say. He has a, a lot of good things to say about health and fitness, about, again, exercise, health and fitness. that maybe some people don't know. Um, he has some great stories about being broke or, or overextending Absolutely. yourself and making some mistakes. So let's go to the chapters here. So I started off, I built this really cool fuel injection system. I made it all the way to IndyCar, the IndyCar series. I had the top teams. I had the top of the top teams, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm away from home all the time. Hmm. I'm 42 weeks on the road every year. Wow. So I, 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 I'll give you the saddest story of my life. Hmm. My oldest son's 32 years old. I'm going to cry. Dang it. He's one year old. He's having a birthday party at my house. All my family's at my house singing happy birthday to my son. This is his first birthday. His first birthday. You know where I'm at? I'm in Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'm in a phone booth. I'm listening. Wow. That's reality. You know, you got to do what you got to do. So I was putting food on the table. I was doing, I was doing what I had to do. But I'm... Um, Got tears running down my face and my, and anyway, you, that's how you make choices. So did, did the, was your family receptive about them? Did they understand well, you your know position? What? You know, like, now, unfortunately, his mom and I were only married for 12 years. So that kind of tells you a lot. But I mean, his mother's a, probably one of the best people I know as far as raising children. And she did a really good job. But I, I, I didn't have a partner that I could communicate with. I didn't have somebody that was inspiring to me, you know, mm. that we, we didn't have that level of connection. So when I, when I started traveling a lot, then it broke down, you gotcha. know, that level yeah. of, I, when I got home, it's like, okay, the water heaters broke, that this needs fixed, the lawn needs mowed, the, I'm wanting to have a five minutes break just to yourself you, you know I, not to myself i want to play with my kids yeah gotcha gotcha you know to but recharge. i but i got to mow the lawn i got to do all that stuff and and i've got a person that's at my partner that won't walk across the street to go to the indy 500 mm-hmm. well that's my livelihood that those are it's not about the fame and the success it's like those though that again everybody thinks auto racing oh that's a cool job i'm like you, you want to i'll let me you want to work <laughs> at it it's like when you have deadlines, I mean, again, that's... It's high-performance it, well, stuff. Well, the yeah, problem I mean. is, is at the time, and then later in life, I started making parts that if my part failed, that would kill the driver. Wow. And and two of the, you know, and I've had, I've been to people's funerals. I have had drivers and riders that have died in, you know, that have been employed. I've been in the same team, and that's hard. Wow. So that's, there's a lot of reality in that, but but we've also developed a lot of safety. There's things, again... All things come together for good. You got to, yeah. you just have to kind of believe that. So, so anyway, that's a sad story that I'm, my son is having his first birthday party and I'm listening to it in a phone booth. Now here's the even more funny story. It's snowing. It's snowing in Indianapolis and we're tire testing. It's March. It's the middle of March. We're testing tires because we have to do all the tire testing for the development of the compound for the Indy 500 in May. So what I'm doing is very critical at the time. Well, my my computers, my onboard electronics that I've developed, they're now an integral part of the racing tire development. And so 
is, yeah, again, I was fortunate. I'm a young kid working out of my garage. You know, you see the, the stories with Bill Gates and Steve Jobs yeah, and all I was that. Say, you know, all those, those the, the garage picture that goes around. Well, I have the, mine was on Lamar and 39th Avenue in Glendale. So, uh, but the reality is going to come. So my daughter, she's going to be born. And by the time my daughter's born, I, I'm, I, I got to make a big choice here because she's going to come two years later. And at the time when my wife was pregnant, I had a racing team and it was one of the biggest IndyCar teams at the time. They're based in Albuquerque, New Mexico, out of all places. They're not in Indianapolis. There's nothing not in, out there. Yeah. No, they're, a, they're owned by a Chevrolet dealership, a guy named Rick Gallus, Gallus Racing. And their driver's name is Al Lentzer Jr. Uh, unfortunately, he was in the news last week for something um, not good. Hmm. But um, anyway, the uh, the team, I was f- literally flying back and forth to that racing team in my, my wife's last trimester every day. Wow. I, it was a 50-minute flight. I'd drive to the airport 20. I'd get on an airplane. We didn't have TSA, so I could run down to the gate and hop on. And since she's pregnant, I had what they called maternity first rights. So if she if she was pregnant and I was in Albuquerque, if she's due, like labor's happening, I got a page, pager. Okay, a lot of you guys don't know what that is, but I would get a page and I could get a, I could bump anybody off the plane to get home. Wow, really? So I could get, and they had a lot of flights per day, like a, you know, we're, we had Southwest Airlines here. Again, a lot of air miles on Southwest Airlines. Oh, yeah. You know, they never lost my bag one time. I want to give them a plug. So I have four and a half million air miles. So for all of you guys out there, wow. if you're sitting here on your frequent flyer miles, I've got four and a half air. That's a lot of hours on airplanes. Now, what I'm going to tell you is when I'm flat broke, I'm going to use those air miles to make to get places. <laughs> I'm going to make appointments. I'm going to do stuff. I'm going to do some things that I got to do. And I'm going to survive. It's all yeah. about survival. Yeah. Okay? So everybody's like, well, do you have any? No, I don't have any air miles left. I burn them up all the way because I, I had to keep surviving. Keep I'd, moving, yeah. I had to keep making meetings. I had to keep putting my ideas out there. Now, the other thing, again, I talk about engineering things and stuff. I also learned early on I needed to learn marketing. Hmm. And so I was fortunate enough. One of the part-time jobs that I had right out of high school is I worked for two gentlemen. They were named, the last name was Price, Robert and Saul Price. They created a company named Price Club. You may have heard of it. Oh, okay. So that is now Costco. So I was at the foundation of Price Club. Wow. So they taught me a lot about marketing. And I learned a lot about human characteristics and human behavior. So they had this thing called the box. We had the big, we had the first big box store. So cross uh, price club was it. Now I was fortunate. I worked a part-time job there. So I worked uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I got in 32 hours in three to four days. And so that gave me insurance benefits. That gave me all the, the stuff I needed to have my, start my family. But it gave me the time Monday through Friday, Monday yeah, to work through Thursday. On your business, yeah. Is and again, now I hear this term, and I got to just say it right now. Everybody says on Instagram and grinding. Stop. <laughs> I hate that term. <laughs> I I don't want to hear the term, term grinding too. again. You guys go grind. Why, why don't you like that term? It is the goofiest term I've ever heard in my lifetime. I don't know because I see people posting pictures of of cars and jets and houses and crap. Right, right. I'm telling you what, 
all the people that have most of that crap, they either commit suicide or they are divorced or they're this or that. That yeah, is not presentation. That's it's, not the stuff to strive for. Yeah. If you want to strive for something, strive for peace. Strive for personal, that if you can sit still for an hour and, and read a book and have nobody bother you, and you that's are, an achievement. And, and <laughs> you days. have and you've got food in the refrigerator that you like, and you got enough money in your pocket that you can call up a, somebody and buy them a meal. You're, you've 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 hit the lottery. Hmm. I mean, so again, everybody has their own terms of success, and I'm not putting people down. I'm not criticizing you, but my gosh, people, it's like seriously. I'm telling you, if that's what you're striving for, you're going to be so disappointed when you get it. I'm telling you what you're going to. So back to. I, that's I, true. Uh, so when I was young, I, I had a couple racing projects. I had a Lear 35 jet I was given. I had two pilots that it's like all I had to do is like, boy, saddle her up. We're going. Wow. Again, I had I was I had some I had some opportunities here and it's cool. I mean, it's be able to be that lifestyle. And again, I'm not saying of the jet set or nothing like that. I used it to actually go get parts. I, I know it sounds crazy. Fly out of different parts. I would. Fly, I literally needed the parts that day. I didn't have FedEx. I didn't have UPS. We'd like no Amazon Prime. <laughs> we had no Amazon Prime, so we had to literally fly and get some parts. I, I wow. remember a couple of times having to fly. It would cost us three thousand dollars by the time we got to the end of the runway in fuel. Wow. I knew exactly how much that part cost. Yeah, so, I have a friend who owns a plane. It's it's a massive expense. Well, anyway, so I'm anyway. telling you, I, I but so let's keep on the subject here. So, so that, so the chapter, so I, I'm going to have a chapter where I'm going to make a really big change. So my daughter is born and I look at my family and I'm like, you know what? That is, that's what I've got to do something different. I am traveling all the time. I'm on the road. I'm never at home. My wife doesn't like me. Um, Mm. I don't see my children and I've got to make something. So I walked into my shop with my three employees and said, guys, we're done. I got to do something else. And I I said, I've got to figure something else out. Now I was fortunate again. I was fortunate that I had some mentors in my life that some customers that I also your customer could be a mentor. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you can find mentors in a lot of different places. And in fact, uh, this particular one, I sat and watched the Indy 500 the other day with him. He's 81 years old. Wow. You know, isn't that cool? That's so, awesome. So here, so here we go. Well, he called me in his office one day. We're building a racing airplane. We raced the Reno Air Races in this. We raced the airplane in 1987. We started on the plane in 1984. I was 20. I was 23 when we finished it, and we raced it. It was the world's first alcohol nitro-powered airplane. Hmm. So I built the fuel system. I did the power plant. It was 3,350 cubic inch. Again, I know these are just numbers, but it's like 10 small block Chevys. So, and this was electronically fuel injected. So I had the first electronically fuel injected aircraft. Wow. You know what? I'm learning a lot about electronics as we go. So I was, so one of my electrical engineers, he related everything electrically to me hydraulically. I knew how it worked hydraulically. So now all of a sudden I could read a schematic and I'm like, okay, that's that, that's that. And I'm like, we're on our way. Hmm. So things are moving. So we build this racing airplane. We spend a pretty fair amount of money at the time. I mean, it was a substantial amount. But I was given a big, huge lesson because I had a mentor. And, and that mentor, he died about three years ago. 
And the lesson, he used to tell me a couple simple, basic things. His first thing he taught me was read the can. That was the first thing he ever read taught. Read the can. Read is, the can. What does that he mean? said, read the instructions. Just read the back <laughs> of the can. I know it sounds silly, but read the can. We just, I used to laugh. It was like, you know, that was one of his first things he it, said. In response to what exactly? Well, because he said, you know what, again, paying attention. You know, people, they try to, they grab something. They think they understand it. They don't take the time to read mm. the instructions. They don't take the time to, hey, have you used this product before? What was your experience with it? How did you Got mix it. that paint? I know this sounds really basic, but you know what? Again, a lot yeah, of we li- don't bother to really get into the process we don't, of something. We don't bother. So his name was Larry Burton. Now, Larry, <clears throat> he's going to be with me my whole life. He's going to be a mentor to me my whole entire life. Now we uh, say the good times and the bad times. There's some the good and the bad. Now, Larry was the first chief mechanic at the Indy 500 to sit in a wheelchair. So when I met Larry, he was in a wheelchair. He said he had polio. He contracted polio before there was a vaccination. They didn't know how to treat it. So they, anyway, won't go long story short. By the time I met him in his wheelchair, he could physically do more than me on foot. And I was 18 years old. So I had to stand there and think about that. I'm like, how is it? Well, he uses the wheelchair for leverage. He uses it for this or that. And I'm like, if that's not inspiring, what is I, hold, I heard a, a quote from one of my first mentors, too. He was he was much older than me at the time, and he's like, you know, old age and uh, tre- tre- treachery is no match for youth and skill. <laughs> exactly. That is exactly it. Well, he could take a scissor lift, hop up on the scissor lift. He could motor around that airplane better than I could with a ladder. Yeah. You know, and I was like, again, he's clever. So, so I'm going to be with Larry for years. And uh, so he and I, so he builds the airframe. He and he lets me do that. now. He was the mentor that gave me all the responsibility that I could that would hang me. Hmm. So again, so we used to use the again we used to use a lot of different analogies. But but he's gonna you have to have a balance. And this is again every one of you that has a job when you're over it when you're frustrated when you're frustrated. There's a reason, and I'll explain it to you. There has to be a balance of responsibility and authority. The two have to balance. If you're in a job where you have all the authority and no responsibility, you're going to create a big problem. If you're in a job where you have all the responsibility and no authority, you're going to get wore out. Hmm. And so if you've ever been in a position where you're, you have you're after you have all this responsibility. What would be an example if you had all the authority oh, but no responsibility? Per, I'll give you a lot of examples. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an example. If you're working at a fast food restaurant, yeah. Okay, you're at a fast food restaurant. You're responsible for the drawer, the amount of money. You have no authority, though. Pretty. Yeah, much. you have yeah. no authority. You can't give them. An what about extra the other other way hamburger. around? Well, if you have all the authority but you have no responsibility, you're probably that spoiled rich kid that came from. You know, some family that has all kinds of money. Gotcha. You know, so you look at they, they, their lifestyle is, again, crazy. Yeah, they're not responsible for anything. You're so not responsible, right. but you've got, yeah, you've got totally no response. You're not responsible for anything. Hmm. So, again, uh, so the balance in life, where everybody's like, you talk about a balanced life. Hmm. I want a balanced life. I want my work and my job. And No, people, it's not balanced. It yeah. never will be balanced. You have to try to achieve the best. You have to achieve what you love. Yeah. Okay. And so a lot of times you're going to be out of balance. You're going yeah, to be, I was going to say that takes imbalance. Really. Yeah. It takes, like, you're going to take a lot of risk, takes giving up a lot exactly. of weekends, it, takes, you got uh, to give, you know. <laughs> give that up. So, so again, so if you're striving for balance, 
that's going to hurt. It's you're it's going to hurt you. It's mm. really going to hurt you because you're going to you need to make these choices based on a couple key things. Now, I have something I developed. Uh, this was back. I used to own one of the motocross racing teams, and and again, we'll go into all of that stuff maybe a little later, maybe another chapter. But if I I look at like if I take three columns and write it on a sheet of paper, if I'm a little bit lost and I don't know what to do, I used to do this a lot with teenagers. Because I'm like, hey, what are you all about? What are you into? What are, what what makes you tick? Hmm. You know, what are you good at? You know, I'm trying to get to know this kid because a lot of them are into things that aren't really that good, whether it's drugs or this or that, whatever. And I'm trying to help them get on a path of what they're really maybe they had even considered, then they might be really good at it. So here's what I'll do. As I said, let's, let's take a sheet of paper. And I'm going to hang this on my refrigerator. And it's not something you have to do one all at one time you can build on this so i'm going to take three columns the first column is going to be this i want you to write down what have you been educated in it's like well i went to high school okay did you learn how to type did you learn how to do cooking what are your skills yeah Yeah, what what are are your your skills what have you been educated i don't care how you're educated did your grandfather teach you how to play golf did you are you did your grandmother teach you how to bake Hmm. Uh, it could be anything what are you trained in what are you like so First column is what are you physically educated and trained in? Mm-hmm. Now, the next thing is, the next thing is this, is, and it kind of will sound similar, but there is a difference. And it's like, what are you naturally good at? Well, I'm a real good left-handed golfer. I'm really good at baking. I'm really good at driving a car. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, whatever this may be. So what have you been educated in? And these are different columns. And then what is it that you're naturally good at? Well, I'm naturally a pretty good writer. I can write pretty well. Or, you know, I might have been educated in English and I'm pretty in grammar and I'm pretty good at writing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I've mm-hmm. I've used that. Third column, what do you love? What if you're in a restaurant and there's a group of people sitting over the table and they're having a conversation, what are you gonna walk up and get in that conversation and interrupt them? What are they talking about? Yeah, what are they talking about that's gonna inspire you? What to join do you them? love? I mean, I love to play golf. I love to bake. I love to again, I love to what is that? And I want you to write these just down and put it on your refrigerator. Again, it doesn't have to be it finished at one time. So you're 30 years old, you're 40 years old, you're 50 years old, you haven't figured it out, you don't know what you're good at, you've been working for somebody else, or you've tried your own thing and it's failed three times. I want you to write this down because I think what you'll see is a path, is you'll see a line going through all three columns you may not have figured out Mm. before. So again, everything, I don't believe in coincidences. So yeah. again, people, circumstances, and events was what, what shape us. So I also believe that we all have some type of purpose. And again, I'm not getting into religion or not getting into faith, but I believe that we're here for a purpose. Yeah. So if we're here for a purpose, the faster you figure out that, that's easier you can figure out what you don't want to waste your time on. Because you can, things that come at you, you can say, okay, is that going to help me fulfill my purpose? Yeah, as soon as you know what your purpose is, yeah, you also know what's not your purpose. Right, I tell, it's, exactly. like, it's, like, it's like living in houses, okay? So I've lived in a lot of different condos, apartments, houses. I pretty much know what works for me. Right. I know what mechanically works. Same with dating. I've dated different types of women, okay? And we're not getting into physical characteristics, but just different personalities. And you say, well, I keep dating the same type, okay? Hmm. And that's not working out for you. Well, yeah, maybe you've got something, you, you're, 
you got something going on there. But the point is, you, you, you learn more by what not to do from an employer than what to do. Right. Okay, my business partner, my business partner, his name is Danny DiGenario, and he's in New York. And he and I, we worked in the drag racing. I was managing a drag racing team. We were the five-time world champion, winningest team at the time. This was back in the late 90s. This was what they called NHRA Top Fuel Drag Racing. They're the race cars that run zero to 330 miles an hour in four seconds. Wow. So that's more acceleration than an F-16 or an F-22 jet. That's crazy. Oh, it's insane. Yeah, how and many Gs do they feel? Like? Just right at six. Right at six. Right yeah. at, but the n- real Gs come when they pull the parachutes. Because oh, the yeah. negative Gs are trying to take their eyeballs out. Oh, right. Oh, it's my God. It's trying yeah. to detach the retina and the driver, one of the team. Has that ever happened? Like when Oh, they, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. It happens that's, all the time. Well, in fact, the team owner that I was managing, I was the general manager for his team. His name is Joe Amato, and I love Joe. And, and he called me. Uh, called me, we were, had the last race of the season, and I just renewed my contract with him. Literally just renewed it within a few months. He calls me, he says, we need to talk. I'm like, what do you want to talk about? I'll tell you when you get at the racetrack. We're going to the last race of the season. It's called the World Finals. We're in Pomona, California. This was like on a Monday. I'm not going to see him till Thursday. I'm like, what do you want to talk? We need to talk. Is Have you ever had a girlfriend so we need to talk? Yeah, that's the worst. That's you like, that's like <laughs> and you're hanging what do you for... want to talk about? <laughs> He's like, I'll tell you when I see you. And I'm like, well, let's just get it well over I with. know I have a buyout in my contract. So I'm like, worst case, I'm getting paid. All right. Okay. Yeah. So at the time, at the time I'm dating somebody and I'm like, hey, you're going with me. So it's like, so I'm sitting there for four days going, I'm wearing myself out. Yeah. Now I'm going to tell you today, I would never do that. Right. So, again, we grow and develop. So I always tell people now today, I, they say, are you worried about that? I'm like, no, I don't worry. I never worry. Hmm. Now, there's times I get genuinely concerned, mm-hmm. but I don't worry. What's the difference between, for you, like how would you articulate between, because you, in some sense, I mean, we use the word worry, like let's say as a business stress. owner, you know, you're okay, I, I'm concerned or keeping track yeah, of the yeah, things yeah. that so I'm you doing. Get, so, so you're stressed out. So you're trying to, as a business owner, you're trying to manage you're trying to manage things that you have no control over. So you have to really, you have to come to grips with you have no control over. You have no control over people. Hmm. You have no control over the weather. You have no control over the stock market. You have no control over. So I again, our company, Speed Tech, there were a few years we were publicly traded. I mean, I went public. I mean, we were on the board. We were trading stock. I mean, it's millions and millions of shares. I got approved by the SEC. I'm the only person I know that was the chairman of a publicly traded company. Wow. You know, and again, I'm not beating on my chest, but that was a learning experience, you know? And, and so I used that learning experience too earlier this month when I issued a press release for my new safe antifreeze. Yeah. Because we used to have to file what we call Q filings and quarterly reports because we're public. You, we right, have yeah, to you get have our, we have to disseminate standards. our information. The problem is with our company is that we were doing rate, we were doing work for mostly Formula One teams. So I had companies like Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes. I had non-disclosure agreements. I couldn't say their name. Really? Oh heck yeah! Every person I had. Well, in our shop, we would have uh, Williams, Ferrari, oh, Mercedes. I guess so. Yeah, McLaren. yeah we had all their, their parts on the same benches. Well, they they know we have the other competitors' parts there because they know we buy them. They know we sell them to them. Right. But it's but again, we also have a contract with them 
that our technology, there's certain things that we don't share with other teams. So we also can't disclose that to the media or the public. So I, so if you're a public company, the thing that's going to boost your share price is the consumer confidence. Right. The consumer confidence, they want to read that Speedtech just got a new order from ABC Company. Right. And it's a $100 million contract, but, you know, well, yeah, I could say leading Formula One team, I can't say their name. So then it's like we're putting out press, but I can't really identify who the people are. Mm. I mean, some companies we could, like one of our best customers back then was a company called Weld Wheels. They made racing wheels, and we sold them lots of titanium bolts. Anyway, so, but we could say their name. Weld Wheels just secures an order for, you know, you could say it's a, a size or whatever, because you're telling them, you know what, hey, you're, you're making some progress. Or, and then all of a sudden now I'm respond now I'm responsible of this this public company. Now people buy equity or shares into the company. So we're using that as an investment. And then I don't care if they spend three dollars. Their shareholder, they think they have right yeah. they they literally would email email me asking me questions. Now you have a line that's like, okay, what's insider trading? Well, if I tell them what I'm working on. What I'm going to release, that's yeah. insider trading. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I can't. So again, you, you got, there, so, so anyway, so, so there's a lot it's of a balance e- for sure. Balance, between, there's a lot between, of ethics and I, and I know yeah. we're, we're jumping around here a little bit, but anyway. The, well, let's, uh, let's finish up with your safe antifreeze a little bit. We've been, this has been an awesome interview, by the way. I mean, you have such a prolific life with so many achievements and. I think this could be huge. I mean, well, this to me is really inspiring. Well, Even though I'm again, not into cars, I think this I, would be again, an amazing Again, I, I was with my mother and father yesterday. They're in their mid-70s. And again, I'm not a plumber. I'm not a carpenter. I'm not an electrician. Hmm. So for my half of my li- most of my life, for them to understand what it, their kid did as an occupation, all they know is I work on race cars. <laughs> you know, whether, you know what I'm saying? They don't yeah. really know the... Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 I love my parents. Again, it, I, I honor my mother and my father, and they're wonderful people. My dad was in the construction business. They've been, my mother worked for a, a newspaper. They've been retired for about 10 years. They still have good health. They travel. That's good. You know, so I'm, I'm very fortunate. I have, uh, I have that. So I like to be able to spend time with them and, you know, uh, but I got to tell you, I, in my lifetime as mentoring, I have used other people other than my parents for more advice. I really have because yeah, for sure. their advice is it's good advice, but it also has a bias on it. Uh, absolutely. You know, it has a bias yep. on it where I have people that will kick me in the butt that they, they there's no bias. It. They right. just basically they're hold me accountable. Like, why are you doing that? What are you doing? What, mm. what, what are you doing? You know, so it, it could be on anything. So yeah, there's no history so, there. So either. say, yeah, there's no, yeah, there's no judgment. Well, there, you know, there can be judgment. There so, can be. There can yeah. be, you know. So yeah, like, again, what's the definition of a true friend? So another claim. So I think if you're successful, if you can count on f- your hand, three to five friends that are true friends, I don't care how long you've had them, but if they don't judge you, I mean, you're in jail in Mexico. They're the, they're, they're either on a helicopter on their way to get you out. Or they're that phone call that they're, they're going to help. You're truly wealthy in that point. Yeah, I mean, again, so so definition of wealth. So I want the people to really reevaluate what you think success is yeah. or wealth is because it's not money. I got to tell you, it is not money. Now, safe antifreeze, I hope it makes 
a lot of money. I hope so too. Man. I, and I and it why? Because you That's know why? Because I want to employ a lot of good families around the world. Yeah. Now here's the cool thing. I am not. I don't have a packaging company. I don't have a bottling company. And so I'm sitting here with a bottle and a chem and chemicals and stuff. So what I did is I went out and I found the world's most environmentally responsible company that has a global footprint that fills bottles. Wow. Okay. And they're and I I don't when I use the word partner. They're not a financial partner. They don't own any yeah, equity you're collaborating or shares. With no, they're they're a vendor to me. Vendor, yeah. They're a vendor, basically. so I hire them to bottle my product. Okay, so they're a packaging company. Yeah. Um, they are a Canadian-based company. They're headquartered in Canada, so obviously we got a money exchange there. But they have facilities in Australia, China, Morocco, Belgium, South Africa. They have them in every continent. Wow. Okay, so what that gives me, this is very important. I now have a partner that does my packaging that it, I know I can go to sleep at night and know that they chemically are not, they're not pouring it into a river. Yeah, you they're, can trust, trust their alignment with So your what values. we have, they align with my ethics. Exactly. So yeah. they are responsible, but here's the key. We have the same, and again, I know this is all letters and things, and but they have the same QC and the same QA. So that means quality control and quality assurance. So we have the same ISO 9001-2015. We have the same process. So the people that are educated in Belgium are the same as the education in South Africa. They're the same as in Morocco. They're the same as in Canada. They're the same as in, in, in here in the U.S. Hmm. So every Everybody is the same. Now, did I create that? No. But I'm getting the benefit of it because I did my homework. I traveled to them. I had to have meetings with multiple potential vendors. It's like dating, okay? Just like dating. Got to do your research. You got to do your research. <laughs> I'm telling you, people, I, I got enough content for an online dating show, too, by the way. Yeah. So, but that'll be, it, that'll be chapter two. <laughs> that, so, but you got to do your homework. And so fortunately, so I've made an agreement with this company that they are going to be doing my bottling. And that is what's going to allow us to get this around the world. Now, the other thing that I'm doing with SAFE is I'm doing something very different than the automotive industry in the handling of antifreeze. I'm not selling it at auto parts stores. Where are you selling? Online only? or We're what? selling it direct. And that means we're going to have our Amazon store on. Oh, really? Absolutely. Wow. So we're going to, so here's what I, I'm telling you guys now. We will sell it to you direct because we are going to put it to your front door. And the reason for that is simply this. Because if you understand this is the business side of things, you have, I'm, I want to eliminate the warehouse distribution network. And the reason is because they take a large, they take, they actually earn Middle more. Middleman, <laughs> yep. They earn more profit than I do as the manufacturer. Wow, really? Oh, yeah, and you guys don't realize that. So when you're buying something at a retail store, you now have two or three like layers. Like or something like that. Yeah, well, yeah. you got, again, and I'm not making, they're in their business to make money. Right, yeah. But you know what? I vote with my money. Yeah. That's exactly, I've everything I do, I vote with my money. Mm -hmm. I make all my choices with my money, whether it's laundry detergent, food, whatever brands I use, I vote with my money. 
I vote for my president. I vote for my congressman. I vote for that, but I vote with my money. Yeah. And so the way I do business is I vote. Now, I have vendors that I've had for 35 years. Wow. I only had a wife for 12, but I have had the same vendors for 35 years. And I'm going to have this vendor for a long, long time. The reason is, is because it's all about, guys, don't be a quitter. Have ethics. Have the same loyalty. You know, because those people are the ones that helped me in the times of trouble. I had times where I didn't have nothing, but you know what? I had my name. I had my, my Reputation handshake. is everything, My man. handshake still means something. Now, I got to tell you, I went through some seasons where I was upside down, bleeding out bad, you know? But I haven't filed Chapter 7. I haven't filed Chapter 11. I haven't given back any houses. And that's because I've had to live within my means. I, I live a very modest lifestyle. I, I tend to spend more on my product development than I do dating, you know. And and so that's again, it's it's all Make about choices. Yeah, it's yeah. all about your priorities Absolutely. in life. And I'm hoping again, it's gambling. I'm hoping it'll pay off for me somewhere. I hope so too. This somewhere is an in life. But, thing, but, man. but here's what I'm telling you. So if I don't spend the money, if I don't give away all my profit, then it allows me to advertise. And when I say advertise, it allows me to get involved with good people for good reasons and to promote this and to get the awareness out here because there are millions of animals that are dying for 92 years. There's all kinds of death that is related to ethylene glycol, and we want to change that. So I want to create, so this month has all been about an animal awareness campaign. Now, I'm going to say something here because we... We're trying to sell. We have only a few days left, but we used a platform called Kickstarter, which I be I did never done this before. My I, one of my children do, do a product on it, and I help I helped a little bit, but we went on to Kickstarter and we did it at the first of the month, and I don't think we've sold one percent. I mean, honestly, to our goal, hmm. and that's and it and it. And, I, and I'm not making any excuses. I've learned a lot in the last 25 days on how to communicate with this product. But the problem's back to the 17 seconds. Those of you still listening, the fact that you are still listening is amazing to me. Because, yeah. you know, <laughs> right. if, if you got past 10 minutes of my voice um, and I didn't put you to sleep. But the point is, is that um, communication is really where it's I have to learn how to communicate our message socially to be responsible because everybody is focused on so many different distractions in this world. And I've had a lot of great people that are animal advocate, animal advocates and things that I've, I've linked in. I'm on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on all these platforms. And it's hard for me to get people to share this information because they, they post pictures of their cats and their dogs, but they're not, they're not getting it that this is what's going to save them. Right. Yeah. You know, so, uh... so here's how simple it is. Um, again, it's a, it's a product that is safe. Um, we don't want you to drink it. We're not asking you to drink it. We're not making a food product, but we're trying to make something that if it's accidentally consumed by animals or children, that it's not going to kill anybody. Yeah. Again, now I also That's have great. to take out liability insurances and all of that type of stuff like any other business does. And of course, to and we have to deal with all of these other things. So, so where can they get the that safe antifreeze? Is pretty much the website, but right. the, it's on Amazon, right? Well, like, it's not on Amazon not yet. yet. We haven't turned on the Amazon store. We're going to expire our our efforts on Kickstarter. I'm actually giving 
the product. I'm not giving it away, but if you buy a case, I'll give you the. I'll give you such a discount on there. Yeah, and we have that on the website. We're going to discount it real heavily, cool. but it's direct. You buy it directly, but we're actually going to be bottling. All we're trying to do is we're trying to pre-sell our first batch. Gotcha. Our first batch is going to be just slightly under 10,000 bottles, yeah. 10,000. So we're trying to do it very efficiently on a very high volume uh, bottling line. And so I can get the manufactured cost down where you it's affordable. So, and that we have enough resources to continue to promote the product. Gotcha. And that's what we're doing. So the product is going to be available for $29. Again, everybody's like, well, that's more money than the other product. Well, it is more money because it's also saving. You're saving a life. Yeah. You're saving. No, that's so, a big deal. But the reality is that right now we have it on sale. Again, it's there's a discounted price. There's an incentive. You can get um, it almost 33% off, and, and that is on our website. We'll be bottling it next month in June. Our first production run. Yeah, this interview probably I think by the time they listen to it, it'll be yeah, July be available. Or August. Yeah, yeah so it'll be available. The, yeah, so, so that's you great. guys can check out. The yeah, website. that's great. We we have a racing product again that will be available immediately. That's for for, for professional racing, and that product will be available. Uh, that we mix also it. non-toxic. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, it's now that product is completely has no glycol in it. It's nice. water color, and then it has a, a corrosion inhibitor which is non-toxic. And so that is completely non-toxic. And uh, so that's a racing. But there will be more products. But our initial is gasoline, UTVs, motorcycles, diesel. When I say diesel, I'm saying like light trucks. The over-the-road, what we call Class 8 semi-trucks, mm-hmm. those will be next. They will come mid-summer. And that, so we're, we're going to be looking for the, the large fleets. We want to do DHL, UPS. FedEx, oh, absolutely, Swift man. trucking, yeah. night trucking. I want, I want to have all the big fleets in the world using a safe. They will be the most environmentally green product companies in the world. So that's our goal. No, that's that's amazing, man. I think this has been inspiring me. Like I said, I I probably even with my dad being such a Acura, Acura big oh. big name, and he's, well, there's he's a buddy top of mine, three mechanic was, in the country. Uh, and one of my buddies, <laughs> he was uh, one of the top test drivers for Acura, so he'll be listening. So yeah, I have uh, I have no clue when it comes to cars, but I think everything you've talked about is so inspiring because not only is this with whole safe thing um, something that can really be industry changing. I mean, that's that's really cool. It's exciting to see. You know, this is at the beat. Like, you know, five years from now, this could be like the Google of the free antifreezes. So I'm excited to be part of your journey with this. Yeah. Um, so I, I really do wish you well with this. Well, I, I, think pre- it's, I appreciate I think it's amazing. Tudor and 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 I think you brought up a lot of points about your own journey and and being successful with with mentoring, with you know making those three columns, with learning to listen to yourself, uh, learning to to be willing to sacrifice, you know, and to, to take risks because ultimately you can't have a balanced life in a sense. If you want high performance, you want high achievement, you have to be willing to golf balance. So I think this has been a great time, man. Thank well, you so been, much. I, I wish you enjoyed it. But success I know I this. wander off on the subject a little <laughs> bit, but well, you know what? Anybody who, who stuck through it all and listened, I think you guys really got a lot of good, good golden gems. So well, thank you. Um, so Bradley Miller's, been my guest today, managing director of Havel Speed Tech. Havel. Havel yeah. Speed Tech. Yeah, Havel's a Hebrew word. It, it means, I, I got it from Solomon. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes. 
And that was the last book that he wrote in his lifetime, the wisest man that's ever was told us that's ever lived in the world. And it just basically in Hebrew, it means the word vapor, 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 all is vapor. And um, so I'm just like, we're striving after the wind We're yeah. and that's what we're doing. So again, there, a lot of times we spend a lot of energy and effort on things that just don't really have any value. So, yeah. and so, and, and again, but that's how we get, there's a great quotes about how do we get experience from poor, and it comes from poor choices. Right. So it's it like, to, you know, right? I, I, that was our opening quote by Nikki yeah, Lauder. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, all right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. That was my good friend, Bradley. He's an entrepreneur. He's an inventor. He's got some awesome stuff coming out with that antifreeze, the safe antifreeze. If you have pets uh, or young children, you know, around the house, if you're doing automotive stuff, really, really cool. You ought to check it out, uh, speedtech.com or safeantifreeze.com. He's uh, one of my great friends, and I'm really inspired by what he's doing. And I hope you've enjoyed this interview. Share it with your friends. You know, life is about not quitting towards the things that you love. Anybody who's successful, it just means that they have been willing to fail more. That's it. For more episodes and weekly content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.